Welcome to the One Shot Test Kitchen. Today's episode, Last Shooting. Hello everyone and welcome to the One Shot Test Kitchen where we try out lesser known tabletop RPGs. I am Mike Kelly and I am joined by my co-host Samara. Hi guys. So yeah, uh, we're picking up after we've played Last Shooting. Uh, Last Shooting, of course, is a game uh, by uh, My Name is Grant, I I guess is what his name is. Um, again, we're going <laughs> to put his Twitter handle in the show notes, but uh, it is also available on itch.io for $5. So yeah, uh, before we get into kind of the deeper stuff, I guess, so what was your general impression of uh, Last Shooting? Yeah. So overall, I enjoyed this story we told and I had certain moments of surprise. I was certainly um, surprised by some of the choices we both made in terms of the Mm. characters we brought to it. Uh, I feel like I successfully did not bring a happy, cheery, twee character to this one for the first time in maybe ever this pod. (laughs) Well... You've had some you've had some little more rough and tumble characters, but yes. Um and I was really pleasantly surprised by um the, the character that you started building and the opportunity that with just two of us we were able to go into a different tone um mm-hmm. and explore a different tone as a game than we've been able to and we can talk a little bit later about what i think succeeded or was challenging about that at times um given that we record this for a pod but um yeah mm-hmm. overall i felt like maybe the i have a lot of thoughts on the mechanics and how they play into this and on a game that has structured storytelling but around like uh conflict and combat um but Overall, I thought it was a cool storytelling tool and mm. um, in a world and in a system, you know, like in a in a genre uh, that I don't often get to play in. So that was that was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I kind of feel the same. I mean, uh, with a couple of exceptions, most of the the stuff that we've done has been you know on the lighter side, not necessarily light, but like, you know, more humor, more some kind of levity is available in there. And, you know, I think there was some in here, but like not to the same degree, like this was a war, this was an ideological war that we were in, you know, kind of the flashpoints for. And I liked the, uh, the freedom that we had to define that, like any kind of war story or even, you know, like sci-fi mech war story that we'd have to deal with, you know, that, you know, that, that exists in other media, it can go a thousand different ways. And I think that this wasn't, I mean, you know, we dealt in tropes, but I think it was kind of unique in that we dealt with those tropes and we actually created a kind of coherent uh, understanding of this conflict and of these characters uh, along the way, which I, I, that was really what I was hoping to get out of this. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think it fully, I don't think we fully did it, but. Uh, I think that it was an extremely good tool to start realizing that. Yeah, for sure. Do you mind if we talk about that um, experience of game playing in a different tone a little bit first? Absolutely. So one of the things that we were kind of struck by afterwards that we talked, you know, after we turned off the recording and we're thinking about it was it was really satisfying in a different way to play through this war story that was a little bit grittier. And I was, I really appreciated those um, background questions that happened before each story point uh, that helped that honestly like helped my character develop in ways that were unexpected and still within this kind of gritty world. But I found myself, I could have gone more fully there if it was just the mm. two of us playing, not recording. And there is something yeah. in the back of my mind that still is aware that there's an audience going to listen to this that can't quite fully commit to something that doesn't have a guaranteed sort of punchline. And I think you had said, um, you know, it's always easier to go for a laugh than to yeah. hope that, um, you know, the emotional, like sort of the emotional beats hit 
And, um, you know, this is maybe a lesson for us as we look ahead to, you know, future seasons of the pod that to fully experience these types of genre games, needing to release this idea of like being entertaining um, fully and completely. But I don't know how it felt for you if you had those same challenges trying to embody this genre and tone. I mean, it definitely was like. I'm de- I definitely gravitate in terms of my own media consumption to stuff that's a little bit more serious, a little bit more dramatic. Um, it's very di- like, and you know, when you do that, you kind of like, you know, you know, you kind of want to act in a way like that sometimes. But I absolutely agree that it's harder to do that when you're doing it for an audience. Think of I'm thinking of it almost in terms of like, you know, a stand-up comedian will get up on a stage, tell his jokes. And he will know very, very quickly and very easily whether what he did worked. Like there will be laughs or there will be no laughs. And as someone like I've been on stage for some stuff, you know, I give occasional talks, uh, like almost academic talks. But at one point I went up uh, at the moth, which is a storytelling, a story slam, uh, went up on stage to tell a funny story and nobody laughed like you know that is a (laughs) that is a horrifying experience but i knew immediately that like oh yeah no that didn't work Mm -hmm. when you're going for a dramatic beat there's never an immediate response that you get with that you don't know and it's a much more ambiguous one like how Mm -hmm. does a dramatic moment sit with an audience Mm -hmm. um is if it's sad like is it sad in the right way or is it sad at all is it like, does it work in the context of what you're doing? Like you are then calling back to people's own lived experiences to try to evoke that. And when you don't like know that that ambiguity is hard to like, to sit with. Mm -hmm. I think that's a real, real challenge. Um, uh, just kind of writ large, uh, in terms of that. And I think partially to what you were saying, like it is hard when we're doing this on a podcast because yeah, we hope listeners out there that like, you know, what we do you liked and things like that. And we want to reflect well, and it's a much different dynamic than if just you and I were playing alone or right. it was like a group thing, uh, like a D and D game. Like that's, you know, I would theoretically know those people more than the people that I'm talking to through a microphone. Right. And it is, it is much, I mean, it's going to be a different dynamic in that case. Totally. And I think that regardless of whether or not there's the challenge of performing for an unknown, for, you know, an audience that you don't know everybody, or you are creating this experience between, you know, a more intimate group, you know, just one person or a small group that you're used to. When you shift outside of like jokey fun times for tone, Mm. It does require a lot of trust and like to be that guy, like ultimately vulnerability, Um, because there were even times that I would bring up things even when we were playing and I had shut myself off from this idea of people listening and just really committing to being like, oh, yeah, okay, this is the story we're telling and and finding like it required a degree of. I, I bravery is way too strong of a word for this, but mm. uh, it, it 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 there was something on the line for me to go there because of the way that the rule system, which we'll get into, sort of supports or does not support. So you kind of throw something out there and you hope that the other person takes it and goes with it because very easily, like you could maybe go too far in the drama or too far in, you know, anything. And I feel like the dynamic that developed with, PJ being kind of a hardened guy that, you know, was like, ah, kid, you don't get this. I've seen too much. Really was in its own way a reflection of my own uncomfortability of going there all the way. Um, mm. And instead of meeting your energy, uh, balancing it out and it still made for a very interesting story and some great tension yeah. there because as a result, you know, Cal got to go to the extreme because he didn't have somebody else sort of meeting him there. So then he became this great opponent um, to this kind of grizzled, conflicted uh, guy. So, you know, ultimately it works out. But just as a point of self-reflection, like noticing how, you know, you respond in those. And it really does boil down to needing explicit kind of trust and openness to vulnerability with the people that you're playing with. 
And and also heightened in that way because it is one-on-one, like not just in the story, like it is like two players back and forth. Like, like this was a duel. This was a story of two people fighting each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had to embody those characters and take another wartime game that we did night witches. Mm-hmm. That was a squadron. There were other people around. There were other characters. So like, if it got to a dramatic point, you could shift and you could like, you know, easily go to that. We were locked in a death grip, both in the story and in the game. Like mm-hmm. we had to face this and that like requires an even more intense level of uh, trust and vulnerability dealing with each other's like, you know, where are we going with this? I mean, that heightens it for me. I mean, in terms of the amount of, I don't know, is pathos the right word, but the amount of like, like, like dramatic weight that this story had. And I think, yep. the, you know, the setup of the game itself reflected that as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that this type of game becomes like, if I could force everybody I ever wanted to play a tabletop RPG with to play a version of this game, it would be a great interview test to keep, you know, toxic people away from my gaming table because Mm. you really, like we were saying that there are types of people that, you know, are gamers and just can't get out of being a sort of phenomenal cosmic being and need to be super overpowered and don't realize that you know, like you did in the final story, you were the first one to take away some things for yourself because it served the story better. And we yeah. felt like it would tell a more interesting story. And there are some people that because the game doesn't require, doesn't doesn't force you to be balanced, um, you could have run away and had just all the superpowers and been like a mega god mech. And I think that that is a kind of toxic mindset when you are collaboratively telling a story um, because, you know, stories aren't just about this guy showed up and he was super amazing and had no conflict and tore him down. Story done. Um, and so I I think that this game structure would be a great way if I could just force everybody I wanted to play games with to play it to make oh, yeah. sure they were on the same page. I mean, it'd be a long, like two to three hour uh, interview process, but yeah, I think it would. Um, I mean, but, but you're right. I mean, like, I don't want to necessarily like, you know, and I'm not saying you did this, but I'm, I don't want to necessarily like uh, denigrate people who come into a game looking for a power fantasy. Like, I think there is a place for that. Certainly. Yes, 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 um, yes. But this game is more uh, like in this case, like, I can see someone coming into this uh, thinking that it is a battle between mechs and not a battle between people. Mm. And like the latter is more interesting, but the former lends itself more to that kind of power fantasy. Um, I made this analogy to you uh, last night. I think, I don't think it was on tape, but uh, one thing that uh, someone said to me once about the star Wars series is that, every lightsaber fight is not about the lightsaber fight. Like it is about everything that's going on around that. So like the original trilogy stuff would be like, you know, the battle between Obi-Wan and Vader on the death star, like is, you know, master facing the student. Like it is, and it is, it's not about the moves they're making. It is about the emotions present in that scene. Same at mm. Jedi when Luke is tempted to the dark side and snaps and then finally throws away his lightsaber. Whereas you look at something in the prequel trilogy and it's just Jedi dashing into war with lightsabers, like charge of the light brigade kind of shit and mm-hmm. uh, not charge of the light brigade. Cause that actually had some pathos, but like, like, you know, <laughs> the Qui-Gon uh, Obi-Wan and Darth Maul fight in Phantom Menace is a ballet. It is not a, like, because who are these people to each other? They don't really know each other. Like it only at the very end gets a little bit of, uh, uh, emotion invested in it. And like, that is the divide. Like you want to see the people fight. You don't want to see cool lightsaber tricks and flips and shit like that. I mean, you do, but like in the service of something else. Yeah. Well, and like you said, there's a, there's a place for that stuff. And this comes up a lot as we talk about these types of games. And I think it is a challenge of tabletop RPGs in general, which is the balance between, 
you know, rule sets specifically regarding combat and rule sets and the RPG experience. And it's really easy. I know that we sometimes talk poo on it a lot, but Mm. I obviously play hours of it. So, you know, I can't hate it that much. But one of the pitfalls of a game like Dungeons and Dragons is that it makes you think that the combat is more important than it necessarily is or that you lose the storytelling through combat because they Mm. give you so many rules around combat and between their magic system and everything else. So, of course, I'm going to spend more energy on that because it's more that I have to digest and understand. So it makes me feel like the combat is more important. But there are games that are better at just straight combat uh, and not storytelling. And I think tabletop RPGs have a hard time, you know, the hurdle that they have to come over when they want to involve combat in their systems is how do you weigh that properly so that you don't lose the story in the combat because it is really easy what i liked about this game is that it Mm. did with how trivial it made combat with so little rules around it you were forced to uh, i felt you know compelled to be more drawn to the story and the people that were in the fight but Mm. in other games like Dungeons and Dragons, you'll be on like round five of combat and you really forgot what story you were telling, even if you have a wonderful DM, but you've just waited your turn so that you can, you know, roll a D20 and see if your sword hits and then go back and you're not telling a story through that. And I do feel like uh, the whole point, you know, we're it's a role playing game, and so things that take mm. away from your ability to tell that story frustrate me. And I appreciate this game tried to strip away all rules of combat to promote you to tell a story, but I also think that there were some pitfalls in that as well. Yeah, and and let's talk about that because I think I think that is like one of the the things that kind of like made me think is like this game is explicitly about combat. Um, you know, the game, the game's called last shooting. Like it has, you know, <laughs> violence right in the name, you know, combat is a part of it. Like, you know, the first line of the introduction is like, you are opposing pilots in a, a, a space mech war or something like that. With that backdrop, you expect some level of, uh, combat mechanics. You expect some level of, uh, you know, roll a dice to see if you hit blah, blah, blah. But this game has none of that. Not even like to the level of like a powered by the apocalypse thing where like you're still rolling dice, even though the outcomes are much more improv. This is just straight up like role play the fight. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'll speak for myself. I found it a bit challenging at times because combat is very much a, I don't want to say a dance because that's kind of cliche, but it is very much reciprocal. It is very much a like, I am trying to kill you. You are trying to kill me. It's very hard to make a move, make an attack or something like that. And then have more or less complete control over what that does. Like I'm like at the very last scene we did where uh, Cal is just kind of striding uh, to finally fight PJ and oh right he had other people with him so he, I'm just gonna say yeah he shoots and he fucking kills each one of them as he goes by like I think that fit thematically and narratively but when I was fighting you I had a certain way I thought that that, that fight was gonna go or certain things I wanted to accomplish but it was very much dependent on uh, how PJ responded to that which I, w- I couldn't know mm-hmm. and I think like more explicit combat mechanics could have guided that, but I'm not necessarily sure that that was necessary, that that would have been like the right thing for the system. I'm curious what your take on. Yeah. I mean, I think that any game that in its rules says, um, well, you guys decide, uh, is a little bit tricky because as somebody that does DM a lot of games and has to make that decision, I know um, how sensitive that is. And when there's not rules that you can lean back on for the justification of why you did it beyond like, I just think that that was better for the story, it can be a little bit nerve wracking because I found myself sometimes describing it was very difficult for me to describe what PJ was doing without thinking of the whole story picture that we were painting so i often 
I tried as much as possible to just repeat back and maybe just go one step further with an action that you had given Cal, thinking precisely of when I had the moment where my sister died and you decided that you saw me sneak in. So I took you seeing me sneaking in and you kind of going through the battlefield punching things. And I said, okay, well, now my sister's going to be one of the ones that you were punching. You already told me that you think that you're a punching machine with the singular focus. And I'll have mm-hmm. me sort of lag behind in a thing. But, you know, even in the fight, when I, I felt like I was scared that it, you would maybe come back and say like, whoa, Samara, that's too overpowered. When PJ tried uh when pj sort of uh at the very end gave the command to self-destruct and leave all his bombs and do it and i only felt okay i was like nervous saying it and i only felt okay Mm -hmm. saying it because in the very beginning when we were sort of specking out the outline for what we thought the story was we kind of agreed that there was you know what our motive what what pj ultimately wanted to get out of this but I think without those rules to lean on, you do run the risk of having some unnecessary player versus player tension, unless, again, it's grounded in what we were talking about earlier, that explicit like trust and vulnerability to say, well, whatever you say, Mike, I'm going to trust you're not going to overstep and I'm just going to go with whatever you say. Um, but it was difficult for me to always just say what I was saying. So I think that without having some rules uh, to lean on uh, in those moments of conflict and tension. You then have to rely on being totally grounded in what we were talking about earlier of that trust with the other player um, mm. so that, you know, whatever you're going to say is within it and I'm going to take it no matter what and kind of run and go with it. Because it was very hard for me to tell a story and not think of to only think of PJ and to not overstep and be like, yeah, and then this is how you respond. And I would often have to cut myself off. And I know, like, once I go back and listen, there are probably plenty of times that I overstepped and went into, like, God mode. Yeah, I I mean, there's definitely a kind of give and take with that. Like, you know, talking about that, you know, your sister dying in particular, like, I had a thought that like, you know, oh, maybe he would recognize your sister because he had gotten intel because he's obsessed with you, like that kind of stuff. And that would have fed into a more dramatic resolution. But that, you know, because you kind of went on and went in to the to the mines and continued that, like, you know, that had to, you know, go by the wayside. And I'm not saying that in the sense of like, you know, you've ruined my moment or anything like that. <laughs> but like I'm I'm saying that in the sense that like, you know, yeah, there really wasn't a defined way of interaction. It was very much dependent on our own mu- modes of communication, our own like rapport in a in a kind of way. Where RPGs can excel is when they have the rules to mediate that in a way that makes for a better story. Um totally. whereas this put this puts a lot more faith in the people playing it. Um which, you know, I don't necessarily, like, I, I don't take that as a negative thing. I take that as a, this is a, this is a game that very much puts the emphasis on the players and the role play. But I think even me who, who's played a lot of this, I would have wanted a little more structure in terms of like, instead of like relying on like that situation with your sister would have played out differently depending on when, when you decided to stop talking about what you were doing. Like, did you stop when you noticed me? What did you stop when you noticed me uh, uh, killing your sister? Did it stop when you decided to go into the mine? Did it stop when you decided to, uh, you know, other steps along that process? Like, there's different ways that could have happened where I had to basically run through a number of different scenarios. Like, okay, uh, if this if uh, this scene stops here, this is where I go. If this scene stops here, this is where I go. Yeah. It, Agreed. It, it made me constantly on my toes and a little off kilter at times. So, yeah. Agreed. I would say definitely. Um, and one of the things that it makes me think of is the game dialect, where mm. this type of 
scene, like setting you up for a role-playing scene uh, is core to the mechanics of that. But what you're doing in that game is defining a new language. So the stakes aren't as high. It's a little bit harder to misstep. Uh, and in a game like this, when the stakes are, you know, death or destruction of the one thing that like defines you in this world, it feels a little bit scarier to make bold decisions about what happens um, to another person. Um, and I think there's something in the rules of this game, because I was going back and looking at it, and it says whoever wins the bids or whatever decides what happens. So mm. another way that that could be interpreted, I think, is that, uh, I mean, we mostly did it where the person who won the bids kind of picked the last moment of the story. But mm. the other way to resolve this tension is I won the bids, so now I'm going to tell the story of what happened, including the things that we decided got destroyed or, you know, were defined. Uh, so you would avoid a lot of that possible player versus player tension. But at the same time, yeah. I think you lose a lot of the collaborative storytelling experience that way. Yeah, I mean, that's I mean that's how I interpreted that rule was like you decide the ultimate end, like the ultimate outcome. But every step along the way to get there has to be collaborative because it's not a duel if I'm controlling how you move. Right. Um, it's not like, um, yeah, you do lose that tension. You do lose a little bit of that, like, you know, we are two capable pilots fighting each other, you know, to the death. Like, it's it didn't feel right. I mean, it probably would resolve that tension to your point, but I think you would lose some of the, some of what this game is going for. And as much as this game has an idea of what it's going for, it is to really, really illustrate like the one-on-one -on -one combat of these two people uh, as almost exemplars of like something else outside of it, be it the war, mm -hmm. be it, you know, ideology, something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much more I just feel like maybe just an inch more support from a rule system to be able to facilitate a collaborative storytelling experience where still the winner defines the ending. Because if the way that, you know, if my name is Grant, you're listening, if the intention is the winner is supposed to just narrate the whole thing, that's fine. But I think to your point, like it's not as interesting for me as a game. So with just a little bit more support, I think you could you could provide the opportunity to have that collaborative storytelling experience without overstepping and feeling like, you know, the person on the other side is like, well, why am I even doing this if Mike's just gonna tear my thing to shreds? Um, and it does require, we keep on coming back to it, but all of that does require such a very special understanding between the two players. And maybe that's kind of the value of this game, right? Because it inherently mm. builds that uh, and forces you for the game to be success successful to go to that place of explicit trust with your partner in this game um, and walk away feeling like, okay, I feel like I tried to respect them through this and, you know, not overstep and over overtake. Uh, and they did the same. And okay, we came out of this with, you know, it landed in like, because I felt like at the end of it, we landed in a great place where not one person mm. steamrolled the other. And because we were kind of dancing around those undefined combat mechanics in a way that we wanted it to make sense, that tension between the two characters got to really develop into something that was ultimately pretty ideologically interesting. Uh, something, something you mentioned kind of had me thinking with regard to like this level of trust in each other, but I think there may also be another dimension to this. Um, this game I think is clearly made for people who are, fans of the genre let me put it that mm -hmm, way. Mm -hmm. like uh, you know you know there are a lot of these scenes of uh you know mechs fighting off against each other in everything from like pacific rim to evangelion to to what have you i wonder if not only does the game have trust in us as players to play off each other but to be immersed in a in the understanding of those particular tropes of of mech combat and mech mm. stories. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. I think to some degree it is. Um, but 
I think that limits it if it, if that's the case. Like mm-hmm. I, you know, because it limits in some ways, limits it in other, uh, uh, makes it freer in others. Like if I were to like play this, or two people who like you know, the only touchstone they have for mech combat is like uh, that, or like in a very vague childhood memory of Voltron or something like that. Mm-hmm. Then, like it's completely open. Like you know, like but that leaves it to two different people to have very wildly diverging opinions of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, if I were to say, uh, say for example, I were playing this with April Lynn and we both had a very clear sense of like Evangelion, like this is an Evangelion type um, uh, mech fight mm-hmm. uh, or mech versus Kaiju fight or what have you. Um I think that would be a little bit more coherent because we know the beats of that. We mm-hmm. know how these stories go. I'm what I think it ex- I think this game excels more when two players have a mutual understanding of those tropes. I think it can be good even if you don't, but I th- I think that the strength is like this is for people who understand what a mech duel is like. Oh, totally. I mean, I definitely felt you know unmoored many times to the extent that each, when I would I was super grateful that you were often defining your things first for your mech to make mm. sure that I was within the vocabulary that we felt like was uh you know of the same world because often like I think about when I was setting up the mobility for my thing uh I was thinking way more transformers than yeah. like you know pacific rim maybe or like you know even galligan uh so i feel like that shared understanding would just create a very different game experience and i think double down on the amount of trust you have with the other player because you know you're running in the same world and it becomes very nerve-wracking i think on both sides it comes nerve-wracking on the side of the player who's not knowledgeable of the world to say If I say they have an octopus arm that is like a mechanical octopus arm, am I going to be looked at and with like this sense of like, what the fuck? What? Mm. And also, if you're somebody who if you're a person on the other side of it who is steeped in it and then the person comes at you is like, yeah, it's an octopus arm. Then without necessarily intending to, just because we don't have the same vocabulary, I'm now encroaching into that territory of the type of player we were talking before that's in like a See, it seems like I'm working out a power fantasy because what I'm coming mm. up with seems totally absurd just because we're not working from the same framework of understanding of the world and trips. And even though we talked about it a little bit before we started playing, um, mm. you know, we just we weren't coming from it from the same place. And I think that we navigated it fairly well, considering that. Uh, yeah. But you would have had a, a different and to your point, yes, a more coherent story. Um, with that similar understanding. Oh yeah, definitely. And like, you know, for you to go to transformers is perfectly understandable. Like, you know, you know, that is your touch point. I do worry though that like, but I think that there may be a benefit in that if, if we both had a very clear picture of it, um, it would have been very, very easy for us to slip into a very, very tropey kind of uh, like story that we told, which is not necessarily Mm -hmm. bad, you know, you know, we'd still make it our own, but at the same time, like the openness of this game allowed for a little bit more um, playfulness with those particular themes and tropes that I, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, even, even the character of Cal was like, you know, he is the old guard, but he's a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something I liked, uh, you know, that we were able to play with and we were able to play with it effectively, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, So, yeah, we're going to have more talk about this, but let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. And we're back. Um, So, yeah, uh, we left off talking a little bit about like the tropiness and whatnot of that. And I I wanted to talk a little bit about kind of the thematic expression of uh, what we were doing. Mm. Um, So one thing that I, I, I... I kind of felt when we were going through it is when I, when I started developing the idea for uh, Cal and, you know, the way that we were kind of ideologically at odds, I was hoping 
there would be a little bit more give and take in terms of like, not just fighting with mechs, but fighting with ideas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, that would come out in the conversation with it, you know, just due to the way that we were playing that just didn't necessarily happen. And, I'm, you know, again, I'm not like, you know, that's you know, just how the story went. But my conception of Cal changed very, very dramatically. I thought he, you know, he would be the kid who would be disillusioned and, you know, his crowning moment would maybe be turning his back on the the regime he had been defending, but instead he turned with the exact opposite way and became this like living war machine of nothing but drive and zeal and determination, ultimately blinded by that in the end, which, you know, is a good character arc, I think to some degree as well. Um, I'm curious, like, how did your conception of PJ start out change? And was it as a result of the war, the interactions or, or anything like that along the way? Mm, Yeah. So to your point about the idea of uh, us having the opportunity to explore the combat of ideas rather than of mechs. uh, I think some of that is when we were choosing the scenes themselves at that moment where they give you a couple prompts or choose your own, um, the fact that they were all in combat in mech made mm. that for me as a player very difficult because it was like, okay, is this guy really going to like turn on his loudspeaker to debate philosophy with the hulking monster that's like barreling towards him? And I think we fit that in sometimes because if we didn't, it wouldn't exist. But every time... I had to overcome this sort of valley in my own mind of um, what was possible and how people acted in this world. Um, And Mm -hmm. and maybe, again, it goes back to that being grounded in the same sort of understanding because another way could have been that what like they hailed them. So they weren't using loudspeakers on their things and they were actually talking Mm -hmm. to each other like, you know. Star Trek style, you know, with each other and, you know, whatever. But because the scenes were set up at the moment of an attack, at the moment of an escape, it became really difficult to explore those ideas. So I think that, you know, to your to your first point about, you know, thinking that we were going to go there more, I think that's, again, the setting of the up of the scenes prevented that from going all the way. Um, and if I would have done it again, maybe pushing to have the first scene be one where it is the two out of Mac sort of on the outskirts of something mm-hmm. so that you could have that conversation um, or coming up with a conceit that allowed for that. As far as my character developing in a way that was expected or unexpected, um, I didn't expect him to be so to give because he started with this his his motive was ideology and um he really believed in that but i think that because your guy was younger and pj was older and then it escalated into this full-blown war and we were seeing like the numbers just increase and this idea of destruction um i was surprised that because it just made sense to have him develop as someone who was like oh i never wanted a full-scale war i thought that we were creating these like lower impact mechs um to do less damage on the whole and to you know spread it around so more people had access to them um and to make people less deformed or tortured by driving them um, but ultimately they are still tools of the same, there are different ways to the same, a different means to the same end. Um, and mm. so he became a little bit more like yearning for the kind of pastoral that what was the question? There was some, if they weren't doing this, what would they be doing or where would they be? And that whole idea of like oh, the yeah. dirt farmer on the moon came up and that mm. being grounded in that changed my idea of this guy who st- I was going to start out being just like, you know, grizzled, really fuck you up, dude. And mm-hmm. uh, because of some of those questions they asked along the way, you know, he became a little bit softer and humane and, and kind of shocked by the state of things, which also I think was propelled where Cal went. The the, mm-hmm. the more extreme Cal went, I felt more compelled to continue to be a counterpoint to you in um, – in that direction rather than being a counterpoint that was like, well, no, I'm bigger and better. And I bring the whole swarm behind me. Like there is a very 
and maybe this is I'm not not to like make it about gender, but there is like a kind of stereotypical 12 year old boy sensibility that yeah. would meet it with like more firepower. You get angry, I get angrier. And uh, a sort of mid 30s adult female response to go into like the psychology of it and be like, oh, this guy just got like so warped by war and seeing how warped he is makes me like really reflect on my own humanity and what part I am of that. No, I, but I think that's I think that's valid. I think that's probably one of the better things that this game evoked is like, we're talking about shit now that is like, like these concepts, like these concepts of, you know, I don't know if existential is the right word, but like these philosophical ideas about, you know, what someone does in pursuit of their ideals and, you know, and how they come to view those ideals and how they come to understand when thought meets reality. And like, you know, we talked a little bit about it in the episode where, you know, this idea of the widely available uh, tools of mass destruction, um, you know, how does that feed into things? And, <clears throat> and I think it fed into the way that PJ ended up coming to terms, not coming to terms, but like understanding what he had done. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that may have also spurred a little bit to when that question was asked about, you know, if you weren't here, what would you be doing? I wonder if that question would have been the same at the beginning of the war for PJ as it was at the end. Uh huh. Uh huh. I think at the beginning of the war, maybe he was a little bit more righteous, a little bit more like, you know, I'm, I'm gung ho about saving these people who are slaves to this order. Mm -hmm. And I think at the end, I think like, yeah, he just wanted peace like you know or he wanted Mm -hmm. an absence of conflict or he wanted frankly speaking maybe you can even interpret it as an escapism from what he had wrought like yeah because he was uh, like very much like instrumental in seizing a factory to produce max in the very first scene like he bore some responsibility for it Mm -hmm. Um, I, i mean i wish cal had had a moment that made him question but i i but like I don't know necessarily how that would have played out. Like, I mean, you mentioned, um, yeah. Are we really going to turn on our external speakers and uh, debate philosophy, which in some enemies, that's exactly what happens to be fair. Yeah. I think because that wasn't necessarily the case in terms of the back and forth, like verbally, the other way that it could have happened was, and this happens in some um, mech anime where like there's internal monologue that happens mm-hmm. and uh, that, you know, say for example, to mechs in a duel, like, Oh, he's, you know, he still gets up every time I, I beat him down. Why does he, why does he right. keep resisting? Or, you know, why is he so skilled? He's, you know, he should not have this level of skill with a mech that is below me. That wasn't really been, there was no opportunity to give that a voice. Not necessarily that those would have been the exact things that Cal would have been thinking, but like in the absence of that direct, uh, like very explicit discussion and debate, like that would have been another avenue for it. But so I think that there was, there was a possible moment, but it came too late where Cal right at the very end comes out of his mech and you see all the things and you know pj was like ah look at yourself kid like look what it's done to you Mm. and that could have been a turning point moment but it was also too late because the bombs were already in place and they were so he maybe could have had a bit of redemption or questioning right before he gets blown to smithereens with everything um but also it makes me think of Going back to this question of like structure, and if you wanted to, presuming that you interpret the rules that it is a collaborative back and forth storytelling the way that we did, um, and not just the winner telling the story, even if you had something as simple as you go back and forth in a story stick and you do one of three things, give an internal monologue of your character's interpretation of the action that just happened, uh, move the action forward using one of the key pieces that you've just defined, or, you know, a third. And then that would give a little bit of structure to maybe help develop those things a little bit further, um, you know, that we're talking about, we felt like we maybe didn't fully have the chance to do for 
I mean, our own faults because we told, we decided the story we were going to tell um, and mm-hmm. how it unfolded. But kind of having those key points in your mind, in the back of your mind, would help kind of be like, oh, right, we're telling this story and it is people in mechs and it is, they're in a war. So when I'm telling the story, I still want to do it from that perspective. Um, you know, sometimes it's just helpful to have those reminders. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't want any of this to be kind of interpreted as like, you know, I don't like the story that we created. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I mean, I think, yeah, I, I thought it was, I thought it was good, but it was just like, I feel it could have been even better with a couple of more moments. Like I, totally. like, you, you, you brought up the, uh, the, the, the scene where like basically Cal reveals himself and mm-hmm. um, like, you know, there's a lot of things in that, like when you like expose yourself, there is vulnerability, but there is also defiance. And there is like, you know, this sense that like, I don't have, I don't have anything to fear from you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which very clearly he did at the end. And like, maybe, I mean, maybe I'm kind of overanalyzing it and not having faith in the way that we told the story, but like, I hope that came through. Like, I mm-hmm. hope like there's layers to the story that we were telling that people could pick up on. Um, I'm not necessarily sure that that did, but but I don't know. I haven't listened to it since. Not as well as it necessarily could have been, right? And I think that's yeah. all we're saying is that I think we did a pretty good job going in cold, having a good relationship, having one of us be a little bit more grounded than the other in this universe. And I still think we told an interesting story that went places that we didn't expect with some uh interesting development of the characters and i just wish there were a few more touchstones that helped guide i mean i'll speak for myself that would help guide me in those moments to remind myself how you could have gone a little bit deeper in that story because even just you mentioning and reminding me of that anime trope of the talking to themselves sort of sensibility if i was reminded of that before like storytelling could take any of these forms um i think i would have leaned into it more and there would have been a lot of opportunities i think i got a little bit nervous at times and kind of went to old gm standby tactics of what is the pure action not just the internal dialogue thoughts feelings um and okay well the only rule i have is that i have to check the boxes of the things i either just defined or destroyed so i got to pull that element in um and mm-hmm. um so so i think that's sometimes why i held back from necessarily going all the way there which is you know that's a me hurdle for for this particular thing but that that's where rules can help people get out of their own heads to to help them see what is even more possible yeah absolutely yeah i like i again yeah, i'm not saying like again that you played the game wrong or anything like that like no. uh, uh i'm never coming yeah, back like, no all right mike's in charge um <laughs> uh no 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 but i but your point about like you know you know this this idea of like the internal monologue like wasn't i mean maybe we could have done something like that but um we almost had to pre-plan that if that was the case because mm-hmm. the, the game mechanics did not evoke it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think that's a perfectly legitimate way to play the game, but it does require a little bit more foreknowledge of things that are not necessarily spelled out in the rulebook. Yep. So, so yeah. Uh, was there any other major things that you wanted to hit? Um, I mean, I, I mean, we can talk about the data file and stuff like that and how the bidding system worked. Um, like, yeah. Okay. Let's do that. I was initially so hot for the data file. I was like, there was something about, I don't know what it was about it in terms of um, its balance between technical and like emotional character, the character driven things that you filled out on the data file and the mech tech that you filled out, Mm -hmm. that they both carried equal weight. Um, and that it was really satisfying for me as we filled it out to pick from both columns, um, that mm. it was also satisfying to destroy things from a storytelling perspective. So I felt like that as a mechanic was really cool. And halfway through, I finally understood 
the bidding system that um because i couldn't quite figure i was like how do we know how many times that we go on this um and there was an element for me that by the end i was a little bit disappointed that we couldn't have gone a few more rounds on things um yeah because i would have appreciated having a few more you know when you had to make the choice between well this is the last battle and i think i kind of want more weapons than i want to have a rank um mm. so i definitely made the that choice uh whereas maybe the better story choice would have been for a character driven one but um so yeah the bidding system well no because it says that you can only go a maximum of two times so they do give mm. you the the rules for that but you know in theory if there were no limits right we could have gone back and forth until i said that's too rich for my blood um mm-hmm. and then I would have to stop and I'd have like one less than you, right? In theory. And would that mean that you would odd and then and then we debate who won from there? You know, I don't I, I, kind of messy. Yeah. I didn't play the other game that they referenced in the rules that uses this system as well, so I'm not very familiar with it. Yeah, final bit is the name of that. The, so yeah, I definitely agree. Like I, calling it a bidding system is a little bit a little bit of a misnomer really mm-hmm. because like when you're when you're bidding you're wagering something you're putting something on the line but that's not really especially in the first scene where you literally cannot destroy something you're not putting anything on the line you are just defining things and like you're you're, you're gaining things like you're gaining you know reputation rank items things like that that work for you i don't know how you necessarily like there's no sense of loss or no like uh sense of protection or wariness with that i did i mean i liked the mechanic in as much as like it helped define the world as we kept going back and forth and you know mm-hmm. what kind of weapons exist in this world like but that made like the actual resolution of those bets very difficult to kind of suss out i mean i think we i think we we managed but with the exception of the last scene where like I felt I was actually putting stuff on the line, like I am sacrificing this stuff mm-hmm. to beat you. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, to to literally put a nail in your coffin. Then that felt much more like a bid system. Whereas in the first two scenes, it was very much like, you know, we're still defining. We still need to go with this. And mm-hmm. like you made the point that like we didn't destroy anything until the third scene. Mm-hmm. And for as long as we played, maybe that scene structure felt rushed in terms of first scene is literally establishing the conflict between the two. Second is rising action and elaboration. And third has to be resolution. Mm -hmm. Like, and you don't really have that much time. Like you don't really have that much like wiggle room. Yeah. I think it, it managed. I think the story managed was good, but I think like, some of the 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 uh, the criticisms we may have about not being able, being able to dive into some of the thematic stuff or the interpersonal stuff may have been alleviated with that, but that comes at a cost of like spending five hours playing this game. I think right, and there becomes you know, I'm always rewriting these roles when we do the reviews, but no, I think totally. like it, the other way, like a house rule could be. You complete a data file and there is there is also kind of a house rule that, you know, you only have this one mech throughout the whole thing, which for us, you know, only in the way that we I created the Federation Republic, having lots of them was an issue. But I feel like most people who would play this would be in that mindset. But you have a full data file. And then when you're doing the bidding, you are selecting the things that get destroyed. And then that drives the story because each one of them is a conflict. So then you figure out how those things got destroyed in that story. But it felt like because we were defining things before these stories, then it felt like, oh, well, now I'm telling the story. And now I feel like I also need to talk about how I'm using sticky bombs here just because I decided that I have them. Um, mm. and maybe it would have been better for the story if I defined these other things. And the most that I ever felt like I was potentially breaking the game or breaking our trust of understanding of the world was when I was defining those things because I was like, you know, something I'll go back to the mobility thing, which I think in the recording I ask a lot about it, where I was like, Oh, I'm just thinking of those duck boats that you go on tours with. Yeah. But 
as I'm describing, it's like it flies and it's a boat and it's rocky terrain. And all of a sudden I'm that 12 year old boy again that's making like the super awesome three headed dragon that does all the things without some. It's not that I need limitations. It's just I guess that's just your understanding with each other. But it did it did get tricky to make sure that I was defining something that felt like it was within the world. And it did make me sad that I didn't have a more complete data file by the end because I think mm. maybe I would have gone different places if I had squad mates, I had a rank, and I didn't just have my sister. But maybe it would have been too much information for how much game mm. there is. I think I come on the other end of that because like uh- – I like the idea. I mean, the way that this thing is set up, like you cannot fill out the data file in full. Like there's no combination of circumstances in which the data file will be filled. Um, I like that to a degree because it's it lets you a it lets you do two things. One, it lets you focus on what's important. Like mm. you know, is the camaraderie between you and your squad important, or is your weapon important? Mm-hmm. Is your rank important, or is like you know? Uh, how these mix function important. Like, yeah. I, th- I think that allows you a lot of leeway in defining the world that you're inhabiting. And the other stuff is uh, not necessarily, you know, defining what's important, but like leaving things open. Like I like the idea that there are empty spaces in this world that we haven't necessarily filled in. Mm. And that leaves the imagination open and we're not necessarily constrained by that. Like, so like, if we had def- defined the data file in full up front, then it's like we could easily come with like the full life stories of these two people, uh, uh, you know, loved ones, catchphrases, hobbies, you know, favorite TV show, favorite pizza topping. Like there could be stuff like that to that mm-hmm. level of exactness. While those things exist, I don't necessarily think that um, defining that serves the telling of the story. Mm-hmm. And like, and I think the idea of it could be anything like the audience wonders, like, what does Cal do in his free time? Like, you know, yeah. and I have, I, I have ideas of that certainly, but I almost like leaving that almost to like, you know, maybe someone listening to this to go like, I bet he fucking writes like emo ass poetry or something like that. Like, you know, or it could be very well that he has none. Like I, I like leaving that open because I think you never know the full extent of a person. Like mm-hmm. you never know, uh, like even your closest friends, even your family, like they will surprise you mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes in good ways, sometimes in bad ways. But I think that the data file serves both those ends pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're totally right. And I like that. I I appreciate that perspective on it uh, because it does that idea that it allows you to focus and decide and define uh, what is more important. Um, And Mm. uh, it would be a very different story if we both decided that only the most important things were our sensors and our weapons and our special moves versus including some of this other stuff that ultimately changed the type of characters we had and the way they moved around the world. So yeah, I, I I do. I guess it's a good feeling to have, and it indicates that I was invested in the world to say I wish I had more of this filled out because I want to know more about this character. Um, and it leaves me wanting more in that way. In as much as I, I guess we're get, getting dangerously close to a take on this, is that like we enjoyed what we did, and we see opportunities maybe for enhancing this in ways that would like better serve this. I know. And I don't say this to like, say like we could do your game better. Uh, my name is Grant. I don't mean that at all. The fact that this game can evoke those feelings that like, we want more out of this. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like that's a, a tremendous accomplishment for a game. I think that like, if we were to blow this out into like a full fledged, like battle tech, like system, like t- to continue the story, which we could theoretically do, mm-hmm. like we can have that if we wanted. But I think in the sense that this is a story of two people fighting and two people struggling, what it suggests and what it's able to do is fantastic. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I would say my overall advice take on this is Definitely read through the rules. 
listen to our playthrough uh, to get a sense of how it goes. And then be really mindful of who you're going to play this with and just decide your house rules and your interpretation before you go. Because I think there is room for that. And then I think grounded from that common knowledge and agreement place, um, you could really have, you know, you could tell some incredible stories. And for me, um, I don't want to jump the gun, but I feel like my my overall take would be this felt like an awesome tool for world building on a grander, like like a prologue to a grander campaign you are going to start. So we just played Cyberpunk. This could have been a really cool way to say, hey, we're going to start this really big cyberpunk campaign, but we want to try to figure out some nuances to our cyberpunk post-apocalyptic world that we're going to do. And we've decided that our world went into its cyberpunk realm after a mech war. That is what set Mm -hmm. it off. And so we're going to play through last shooting to kind of give us the backdrop and some of the factions and the world for this. And then you're, you know, very quickly, you've established a really rich lore for something that you can then go play in with a deeper rule set. But, you know, I would use this and, you know, let's say you're into sword and sorcery and you're not into sci-fi, you just have to change a few things. And instead of special weapons and signature moves, it's signature spells and whatever. And then it's a wizard Mm -hmm. duel and you can tell the history again before you go off on a campaign of, you know, this prologue backstory between these two things. I think it's a great structure for that. And ultimately I found it a wonderful way to I was really ready to, I think I was joking that I was ready to work out some of my issues of fighting with you. And instead, Mm. I felt like so much closer to you by the end of it. And I felt like we told this really great. Wow. Wow. The one time, (laughs) the one time I tried to be, wow, wow, well, never again. I'm back to being a jerk. Mm -hmm. Um, But I did feel like we, we told a really we told a story that I cared about and I felt Mm. I did feel closer to you because the way in which we had to dance around that story felt like we found a creative, playful respect for each other while doing that uh, in a way that was much more intimate than some other games and with games that arguably had more rules uh, because the rules weren't there. We had to kind of negotiate that with each other, which Mm. I ultimately you know, appreciated in this very specific setting. But I would say with other people, you wouldn't just need to navigate, you know, that for yourself or maybe make sure you had some house rules just in case, you know, you don't have the wonderful love-hate relationship that we have with each other. This is, I mean, I think this this game works on a couple of different levels for game or group cohesion. Like, yeah, we, you know, understanding defining rules and defining boundaries and stuff like that. I think this game does a really good job at that. But in terms of the world building aspect, like we created a world. I mean, we created the battle of crack crap. What was the name of that mining? Oh, uh, Marsh something. No, uh, Mark, uh, something Mark crack, crack Mark. Crush Mark. Crush Mark. Crush Mark. Yes. So it, we define the battle of crush Mark mine and uh, you know, the, these ideas can absolutely serve as world building, not just in terms of like, you know, the lore of what the world looks like, but like these mythic stories, like, you know, I, I can totally see like, you know, a hundred years from now, the story of Corvus and the Kingfisher, uh, like, and at the battle of Crushmark, like that just sounds fucking cool. Like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, I, I, I really, I really, really appreciated this game and a lot of uh, a lot of what it did, and the fact that I want more like of this, not necessarily of this in particular, but of the world that we created and this whole thing. Uh, again, just very well done. Yeah, I do recommend. Yes, this this is this is thumbs up from the one shot test kitchen. <laughs> um. So yeah, uh, anything else you wanted to touch on or? No, good job. My name is Grant. And now I want to see if my name is Grant has, you know, other systems that they, you know, have developed um, or other settings for this. I'm also curious about this final bid that I'm going to go look up. But uh, yeah, I definitely want to check that out. 
I like the, I'm curious how, what, it, this is definitely a hack of that. And I'm curious what the original looks like. So. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I guess I need to set aside some time to go uh, listen to Evangel again, the yeah. hot, hot podcast by Mike Kelly and April Lynn. <laughs> yeah. Evangel again, wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode of One Shot Test Kitchen. Uh, again, if you're interested in getting your own copy of Last Shooting, it's available on itch.io. Uh, just search for Last Shooting. It's available for $5. So, Samara, uh, where can people find you online? I'm going to do something a little bit different because my my Twitter and Instagram presence, it's at Naomi on Instagram and at Samara Naomi on Twitter. But I am going to recommend uh, two other things that I'm a part of that you should go check out as you're going into uh, hibernation mode. I guess we're all in hibernation mode and maybe need some things to listen to. Uh, there's two really cool books that I've narrated that I highly recommend. One of them is Plagues, Pandemics, and Viruses by Heather Quinlan, which you can get on Audible. And it's a really so great reading. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it is actually, it's a really interesting history from uh, the plague of Athens to COVID-19. Uh, but it is an interesting history uh, of things and a lot of great facts. And then the other one, also light reading, is called uh, What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat by Aubrey Gordon, also available on Audible. They're both Really interesting reads that I highly recommend, different from the trash that I record under my pseudonym uh, and uh, some of the other stuff. So check it out. Cool. I don't have anything of that nature to plug, um, but you can find me on Twitter at Galenblade, G-A-L-E-N-B-L-A-D-E. Also, uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at OSTK Podcast. Uh, We have also uh, started up posting some of these episodes to youtube uh we've currently got the sundered land and cyberpunk up there uh let us know if you like it um you have any comments or questions for us uh or if you have a suggestion for games that we should take on in the future please drop us a line at ostkpodcast at gmail.com uh if you'd like to help us out please leave us a review on your podcast service of choice it does help other people discover the show thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. One and two and three and four and five. One and two and three and four and five and six. And one and two and three and four and five and six. One and two and three and four, five, six. One and two and three and four, five and six. One, two, three, four, five, six. Now I'm up to six instead of five.